shop. Yeah, welcome to Talking Shop, a podcast where uh, I dive deep into my guest's relationship with their work to learn why they love to do the things we do up here. Um, tonight, drinking from the Hanukkah mug is artistic director of the Steel City Improv Theater, Woody Drennan. Woody is a 16-year veteran of the improv and sketch scene in Los Angeles, where he performed and studied at Iowa West, UCBLA, and the Groundlings. More recently, he's become a pivotal member of the Steel City Improv family. I first met Woody at the Thursday Night Improv Jam downtown. Uh, I told him I could stay for a quick drink, and I talked to him for like literally two hours. Um, dude loves to talk shop, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and then I'm going to try my best to play the way that Woody does before uh, opening the floor for some questions. So think of some questions while we're talking. Uh, without further ado, please welcome to the stage Woody Drennan. Thank you, Brian. I liked it. You're welcome. You remember uh, talking to me for hours the night I met you at the jam? You did. Did, did you grill me for information? Did we talk did. about improv? We did talk a lot about improv. I don't think I talk about anything but improv. It's <laughs> nice. Nice setup you have here. I love it. Thank you. All right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a dive-right-inner, so we're going to dive right in. Do it. So in your minds, this is going to help me think the way that you think. So what is the best improv show that you have ever seen? Um, the best improv show I've ever seen was a show called Quartet. And it had, um, it was in L.A., it was at Iowa West, and it had four players, hence I get fourth. That, yeah. yeah, you got it. Um, uh, Craig Kukowski. Um, he's a Chicago alum and went out to L.A. Uh, Stephanie Weir, who used to be on Mad TV. Bob Dassey, her husband, who is also a longtime improviser. And Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock. A solid cast. It was pretty, yeah. So it wasn't going to suck to begin with. <laughs> but, uh, but it was one of the most amazing experiences I ever saw with improv. Because as an improviser of that, at that time, you know, doing improv for like five or six years like it felt like it was a scripted show like yeah. everything they did was in each other's brains and it was a 45 minute single scene hmm. in it, one location is that do you feel like the the goal of improvisation would be to feel like a scripted show it, i mean i'm not i don't want to pigeonhole what improv there's different ways you can do improv, and, I, and I'm a fan of all of them. But in my mind, yes, that's, the, that's what I love. When I say yes, I mean that's what I prefer, not that that's the only way you can You're do gonna it. You're going to pigeonhole it. Uh, so like if, you, if the audience leaves being like, oh, they couldn't have made that up, you feel like that, that you did a good job. or whoever Absolutely. Did a good yeah, job. absolutely. I mean, that to me is like when I fell in love with improv, it was because of that. It was because of... You know, when you see whose line is in any way, you understand that this is made up. This is shtick. This is joke. Um, when you see those kind of people do it, uh, the veterans of it, it's like it felt like is this, is this a play that I'm watching? Is this really thought out and the beats and the emotion and everything? Um, and it was funny as hell too. It was yeah. insanely funny, um, but it was so real. And that's what's funny to me is a real. Was it, were there dramatic moments or was it largely yes. comedic piece? Yes, where Craig, Craig and Dassey got into a fight about um, their Def Leppard cover band. <laughs> it was hilariously dramatic. Yeah. It was hilariously dramatic in a way that, like, the way they were so passionate about Def Leppard that nobody is. <laughs> like there's nobody on this planet that is that passionate, yeah. but they sold it so well that and and like there was nothing funny coming out of their mouths. Like, like they were just so into their Def Leppard cover band that um, <laughs> that like it was so fun. It, the, the the content made it funny. They displayed it completely real. Yeah, 
and then watching the other two react off of how crazy they were about Def Leppard. Do you think there's any aspect of the mono scene itself that was also enjoyable, or was that just the form that served that style of improv for them? Um, I think it's just the way they like to play. Um, like, you can call it a mono scene, but there were, it, it never felt like... There were never lulls. There mm -hmm. were different... Like, it always felt like it was changing in... Like, you could see the edits happening in the mono Within scene. The, yeah, one you location. Like, yeah, it was one location, but there was definitely different... It, fl it flowed into different things, like different aspects, and they were working in a gap. So it was like different aspects of the gap. So it was, it was crazy. So uh, let's move into a scene that you are in, or a show that you are in. If you walk onto a, a blank stage or are going to go uh, you know, start something new, a new beat, uh, in the first 10, 15 seconds of a scene, is there an element or something that happens or a flow that's going on that you can say, like, I know this scene is going going. I'm having fun or this is going well. Like what what do you know at the top of a scene is like this is going to be a good scene for me? I think I think the the first like 15 20 seconds whatever if I know if I look at my partner on that stage and they look at me and we both understand that we're here together then that to me is we're locked. It has nothing to do with what we're going to say or um, how we're going to feel, but at least we know that we're both locked in, and ha uh, we're going to let it go wherever it goes. So uh, it's that, emotional. Emotional, I guess, is what the the bottom line is. Yeah. So if you go out on stage and your scene partner is not making that connection with you, is it something you're like, well, we'll try this other tactic, or will you just work to make that connection? I'll wait. You'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait until it's not about him and it's about us. <laughs> or about me and uh, until it's about us. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, one that it's going to go out there and start doing my soft shoe. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's never going to be good if it's all about either of our soft shoes. So, um, I, so I, I will bring up this related quote. Uh, so Greg Gelati plays with you. On, um, on writer's room and, uh, and uh, formerly of the union, said uh, Woody does not suffer wishy-washiness and softness in his scene, uh, similar to what you are just saying. Um, and Dylan Diatlo, who uh, has been coached by you on a, a number of groups and plays with you in a duo, talks about how you are happy to call people out through your improv during <laughs> scenes. Uh, which I've also noticed before. Um, is this something, so kind of like you were just saying, like, I'll, I'll wait for that scene to, to be about, you know, about us again. Uh, is that something you do intentionally, or is that like you're just your personality coming out, or I, is it like a choice you make? Uh, I, I guess it is intentionally, because, you know, I always wanted to try to be about us. So if it starts being a, not about us, then I'll, I'll make it about us. I'll, I'll, when I say I'll make it about us, I, I come in with an idea that I feel a certain way about a person on that stage. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, if they're doing something else, it's just fueling how I feel about them. So I'm not reacting like saying, oh, he's doing his own thing and I'm going to wait and call him out on his shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I'm thinking is, He's doing his own thing, and it's not about us anymore. The characters, and I, and I needed him to like, you know, let's get back to here. Let's get back to here. Um, Is that what you'll do? You just reach out. I just literally go. Stop, <laughs> stop stirring the bowl. Stop stirring that fucking bowl, and let's talk about whatever. No, you know, what I'm saying like I, I just want it. You know, it, it's not like forcing someone into it. It's just basically trying to engage with someone on stage just like we would real, in real life. I don't want to engage in your activity. I want to engage with you. Yeah, well, and that's interesting because I've definitely seen it happen before, and I wonder, like, so once you make that choice, like, I'm, I'm willing to, through improv moves, uh, or you know, through fine improv, you know, like, pull this person back in, like, do you have ways that you do that, or you just kind of, you'll just do it? No, I mean, it makes it sound like that, you know, I'm standing up on the mountain saying, <laughs> I'm controlling this scene. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's just, 
through improv moves or whatever, if you call it an improv move, it's not really an improv move. It's actually having a, um, a conversation or an existence on stage with another person. And I don't care about your activity. I only care about what I want and how you're affecting me right here in this moment. So I much look at it as a experience on stage with another person that I have an opinion about and I have a connection to through these characters, um, fueled by Woody. Yeah. I also, and this is really the last thing before I drop this. That was fucking awesome, wasn't it? That was. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. But anyway. That's, uh, I feel like you also just don't take, like, bullshit from people on stage <laughs> in a way that I can, like, can respect. There, was, there was a moment in my life when I was at the Groundlings and I was um, taking a class and um, one of the teachers, I can't remember... Her name, but after they, I got done with the class, the the first level, they were, you know, they come and sit you in a room and say whether you live or die. Wow, they're pretty, they're pretty hardcore. The Groundlings, and um, they tell you if you're gonna go. Um, and uh, she said to me, she goes, "So, Woody, do you have a problem with people?" <laughs> And she said it that way. And I'm like, and I go, I don't know what that means. It's like, I don't think you have patience with (laughs) people. And I'm like, yeah, not intentionally, but, you know, I guess maybe. It's funny you say that because obviously I'm still doing it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, uh, I would say that uh, the interpretation of me being, you know, no nonsense is just me trying to get my want in that scene. So I'm not taking any of the shit from the character, (laughs) I assume. But maybe there's an underlying psyche. (laughs) But uh, no, I just just want this scene. I just want to... I'm trying to get what I want in the scene, and I'm hoping my partner does the same with his want, and then we have a scene. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about... um, I, I, I feel like I... I'm really excited because uh, the mm-hmm. other thing I learned when I first met you is that you studied with some folks who studied with Dell um, close. Uh, so uh, what, what, and I have heard some of this from you before, but what were your biggest takeaways from what you got, I guess, filtered that one level through, through Dell or from people who studied with him? I mean, my gurus, I mean, obviously their gurus, gurus were Dell. Dell died when I, the first year I started improvising um and you know that was kind of and i just got involved in improv and everyone was talking about this guy named del close and i whatever um (laughs) and he died and then you know then i started understanding what del brought to the improv world and then i talked you know everybody that studied with del and uh, you know like the people that i just (laughs) mentioned in that show um i think i'm pretty sure all of them studied with del at some point um, but one of my gurus... I should say they do listen to this podcast. What's that? They do listen to this podcast. Uh, everybody? Oh, everyone you named. How do you, how do you... What do you mean? They do not listen to this podcast. Oh, oh I, thought you said, I thought you said they do, and I'm like, really? I did. I was a... Really? That's why I don't try to do jokes on the podcast. Somebody's got lofty goals. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I... What, <laughs> one, one of the people that I looked up to that kind of had, you know, uh, my guru status was uh, Neil Flynn. And um, Neil Flynn and from Scrubs, he was the janitor, and he's, um, he was, he's the most amazing improviser that I ever, I, w- I was enamored by anything he did on stage. And I, you know, listened to him and talked to him, and he kind of had that, in a nicer way, from what, how you hear about Del Close, Neil kind of had the same attitude towards improv. And um, he, you know, he, he was the take-no-shit kind of person either. Like, he just, you know, you either know how to fucking do it or you don't. You know, <laughs> that's really how he approached it. Um, but, and I think Del kind of approached that to the same way. To, but I don't think it was you either know how to do it or not. You either care about it mm. or you don't. 
And the people that don't care about it enough, I don't have time yeah. for. The people that are out there working hard, I will give you my time of day. That's coming from Neil, not Neil. from Dell. Yeah. And through Dell. Stories about Dell through Neil, and then he agrees, you know. And, uh, and it's, you know, the classic, you know, I don't, you know, the gurus are all kind of that way. I think the gurus are always those guys that are, that they're like, I don't have, I don't, if this is your fucking softball league, I don't have time for you. You know yeah. what I mean? If you want to do this really well, then I'll, I'll give you the time of day. So that's really what I took from those guys. Um, you have also talked about uh, Harold um, in a way that before I mentioned I never really had been exposed to talking about this, uh, which is just like kind of as an, an organism, so something that's, that's living and breathing um, and sort of demands our respect while we're working on it. Um, when, where, I guess, did you develop that perspective and how has it become so important to I, you? I, maybe you can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, little bit. Uh, what Harold is, uh, in my mind. Sure. It's awesome. <laughs> um, Harold was presented to me as, of course, as, you know, Dell and Sharna's baby, and they cultivated this whole idea of how Harold is and developed. And then, of course, he opened his mind to it could be anything. He was never a guy that was going to say, you can only be done one way. <clears throat> but the way I was taught is which, which you know, um, which, you know, painstakingly I've been screaming to every one of my team members on well-known strangers. Um, so, like, the idea of Harold is, you know, I want to see a completely improvised journey of a hero to from beginning to end. Um, I want to see a person that we create, a character that we create, and we see how he evolves in some sort of quest that he's going to get. And I always use the phrase, if he eats either paradise gained or paradise lost. He's either going to get what he wants or he doesn't get what he wants um, through the course of this journey that we, we show. And um, how we do that is, you know, with scenes and beats and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if we want to get into the technique. The technical side of Harold. Um, Let's see how interesting it is. It's not very. <laughs> it's, uh, not like it's stereo instructions. Yeah, no. At this but, level, sounds uh, is fascinating to me. So what I'm saying is, like, uh, there is many interpretations of what Harold is, but I am very. I love the story. Yeah. I don't love story and scene. I don't love to 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 see rhetoric or writing and scene. Right. Um, I want to see game and fun and scene, but I do want to see a tell. I want to see how we move this whole character down the line to see where he goes and how other people influence him and his journey. And we see these three parallel worlds going down the line, and all of a sudden we see them converge. Is, um, is there a sense that, so like at one point in, in Harold, um, and I guess for anyone on, in listening, because I think you guys all do Harold, but uh, so we'll do these three, you know, scenes that are um, uh, unrelated, uh, far apart in the tent pole. Um, so at what point do you... Nice. Do you... Tent pole. Yeah. Nice. I've read, I've read Truth in Comedy. Nice. Uh, so at what point do you, um, does your hero emerge? Like this is the... Day, the first line of the first scene. Mm. <clears throat> the, like we need to lock in right then and there because we see a person have some sort of emotional connection to uh, another person, just like we were just talking about. Yeah. Now, does that, do those two actors in Harold, are they thinking about a journey of a tell or whatever? No. In that scene, they're just having a scene together. They're just existing, like like we would learn in our ones and twos classes. Um, but then now, once that scene's done, we're going to see where does he go? Where does he go from that point? And, uh, and where is he going to go from that point? And then what's the most interesting part of Harold? And when we see Harold, um, which is the phrase, and like if if all the worlds collide in a beautiful grandioso, amazing way. It's called Seeing Harold, and it fucking never happens. <laughs> um, but we strive to go there, and 
and it sometimes gets close and sometimes it can get there, you know. Um, and then that's to me the most gratifying thing because eight people on stage got it to go there without all eight people knowing where we were going to go. Yeah. So that's kind of good. That was awesome too, right? <laughs> so that's how you Fucking get applause in this yeah. show. Uh, he asked for it. Yeah. Uh, Greg uh, Gelati, we talked about him earlier. Fucking Greg keeps oh, no. commenting on me? <laughs> he also... Did you ask anyone else a question? I, uh, there'll be more. Um, but this is, this is related to what you were just saying. So there, he also said there's a point of, of you, your playing style. There's a point to what's happening. Um, there's always meaning behind what's being done, uh, which, is, which I love that quote in that it's... it's I, I think there's... Um, it's, on surface, there's uh, contradiction there. But I, I don't think there really is, and I'd love if you could talk to that. So in practice, like, there's this line of creating meaning, uh, following that hero's journey. Um, it, there's always meaning to what's being done, but I, I also know that you and I both love, in that moment, in that scene, like you were talking about, discovering beat to beat what's happening and not kind of setting forth our story ahead of time. So how do you walk that line in an individual scene in that part of a Harold? I never think about plot in the scene. I never think about the journey of Harold in the scene. Uh, when, we're, when we're actually doing scene work, when we're actually jumping into the scene, and, and, I, and I try to make, because plot in, in, in writing and improv is such a bad word. Right. Um, and, and it's right. It's not, it, it, we never want to actually write what we're doing in a scene. We just want to have a scene that basically is showing my passion about something. And then maybe at the end of that scene, we find out that uh, when we're looking for that edit, when we're looking, we, we played this game so hard and so strong and we made everybody laugh. And then at the end of that scene, we stop that game and then we go, I need to figure out how to do this more meaning I need to move from this scene and now try something different to gain whatever I'm trying to get in this scene. So that sounded really fucking horrible. <laughs> I, I follow you. You need like this. <laughs> nice. It sounded, it sounded very confusing. In my brain, it was working. But like the next, the next stage of the journey, right. I guess. I'm not, yeah, yeah you, you can't think about it when we're actually... Right now... We're on a journey. Mm. We're on a journey. But we're not thinking about where we're going. We're just having wow. this... Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, we, we're, we're having this thing. We're doing this playing. We're playing this game. We're creating these characters, and we're creating what the character's all about, all his, his nuances and all that kind of stuff. You're creating your character, mm -hmm. and then I'm, like, saying, I need this from you, and you're saying, I need this from me. And then at the end of it, we're all going, hey... We should try to get this in another way. Yeah, yeah. And then we move on, and we, we see where it goes. And then all of a sudden, we see these three parallel worlds are somehow existing in the world, in the same, in the same world. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a... I love Harold. Like, a lot of people and improvisers, those people that I've named that are Del Close people, they're like going, once we learned Harold, we never did it again. Yeah. And I call them pussies. <laughs> No, I don't. You have it on record. I know. Is this on the air? Is this going to go somewhere where people can hear? No. Okay. Uh, so you, <laughs> you, so when you're in that one individual scene, um, you talked about the most important thing to you in that beginning part is certainly that connection with your partner. How how important to you is is game in the scene? The most important. Yeah. Thing. The most important thing. Um, game and scene, like. There were, when I when I went through classes with all the like James Grace and Scott Robinson and all these names that you could Google and find out who they are, um, like they're all Dell people and they're all you know you know it was very bare bones kind of like yes and kind of classes. It was it was what um, you know the level ones of the world were were set up to be. It's like you zip zap zap and yes and and all that kind of stuff and. And, and I went through all that stuff. And then, of course, Neil, Neil Flynn is like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> I mean, you don't really need all that stuff. And, or I don't understand what it's for. And I was kind of like going, well, I guess what they said it's for is for, nah, bullshit. You just have to do it. And, um, and so the idea of, um, you know, 
how we do how we do what we do is is based in that game is I want something from you. I'm trying to get it. And just like argument when we you know we say we can't be in the argument, you can't you can never get into an argument if you're always agreeing with someone. And you can't get into an argument if you're trying different ways of getting what you want except just asking for it. You know, I want it. No, you can't have it. I want it. <laughs> right. No, you can't have it. I want it. No, you can't have it. But you try different ways. You try to give them what they want and then you will gain what you want. It's it's really a kind of a psychological warfare finding game. <laughs> um, a lot of people would define game in a different way, but it's all to me based in how I perform in this scene is based on what I want without pissing that person off so much that they won't <laughs> give it to me. And that's kind of the basis of all scenes, and, and then we can build off of that. Yeah, it's like, so it's those two people walking that line together of going after what you want, but right. not destroying that reality. Right. Because you know, we both want wants, and we both want to get our goals. So let's build it to the place where we're both going to get it. Um, we're starting to run out of time. I do, there's it's, so much I, I want to ask you. I run the theater. You can do it as long as you want. <laughs> Uh, and it's about me. So. It's true. Uh, some... Ego plays a part in this, people. <laughs> um, apparently he didn't listen to Greg Gelati's interview. That was the last time I'll name his name. Not on stage. Um, Off stage ego. On stage the, ego. Uh, the, um, I do want to ask you just a few questions. This is not as applicable to your interview, but about the skit, because you're here. That's our wonderful improv here we are currently sitting in. Um, you, you have said that Pittsburgh is, and I quote, a great place to be for comedy right now. I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, what, what is unique and exciting to you about the scene in Pittsburgh right now? Well, you know, like being out in L.A. and coming home every so often to Pittsburgh, I would always try to find improv in Pittsburgh, and it didn't exist. Like every once in a while, you ha you you saw that maybe like a comedy sports tried to happen here, for like a few years. Yeah, and then they failed. It failed. Yeah. Um, and then recently, when I came back, um, you know, to stay forever, uh, I was like looking for yeah. <laughs> it did. It, it, no, wait, did that sound like it was a sentence? Well, it just was sounded a, like <laughs> yeah, like a little somber. No, no, it it was no, it was just it was just I came back. Well, I mean, it was my mom was like, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> We're so good. anyway, so anyway, uh, I came back and so I, I wanted to see this scene here. And I was out of this scene in LA for a little while. I was managing bars and I was doing shit that I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, and I came back to Pittsburgh um, after being laid off and like like looking for it and discovering that there is a whole scene of not improv, but long-form improv. Like, it was thriving. Like, I went to um, uh, I, the jam down at the cabaret and met two people that I used to improvise with in L.A., uh, Christy and Jethro, and I was like, what? You live here too? <laughs> yeah. And we started doing that down there. And then I met you and Greg, and you brought me up to here, and I was like going, oh my god, this whole world exists here, and they're actually speaking my language. Like, they're speaking the Del Close, you know, ideals of what improv is. So, yeah, and then I understand, and then I saw the, the stand-up was actually thriving, too. Like, all these worlds were just kind of, you know, growing in Pittsburgh, and it, it, it's a nice place to to learn it because there's no pressure. LA has a lot of people that want to be stars and just mm -hmm. just want to like, you know, want to try to they, they want to try to further their career. Nobody really wants a career in improv here. They're just doing it because they love I to hope do not. it. Yeah. <laughs> Look at a couple laughs out there. <laughs> um, and but but I mean I mean that you may might turn into a career in improv yeah. because you are just relaxed. It just just do it. Just have a good time doing it. So anyway, 
Am I babbling? I no, know. no. I, I will stop you if you aren't. Although they should tell you if you're babbling. Am I babbling? With a round of applause. <laughs> um, See, but if you ask for a round of applause, they just give it's it so to you. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I love this power you've I, shown me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do some improv now. So my goal is always to try to improvise like Woody, which is hard because my brain doesn't work at the speed that Woody's brain works. I don't know um, if that's true, but it's well I think we you you've got a brain you have a speedy brain. Well we could sit here and massage each other's egos all day. <laughs> but um uh, so you've you've devised a a plan to try to um a little set that we can do that that you think will be very fun for you. So why don't you tell people what we're gonna do? <laughs> I, I, don't even, it. I don't even know. I didn't get the joke in that one, but well, that, you did. It so. made it sound like that I planned this whole thing. Right, no. Yeah. What, so what, what do you want? I to... planned out a way we can improvise. This is Woody's dream set. No, he, uh, you <laughs> did I, ask you me. me you, no, no, no. Okay. I, I can stay there. You ask me, um, you know, like you say with your podcast, you want to do like how every the your person on your podcast wants to improvise. You want to do it that way. And um, so here's how we're going to improvise. Yeah. We're going to improvise. I, I didn't I didn't know. You didn't? I, I swear I didn't know. You didn't know? I, how, would, how should I have known? You looked like you knew. I... The way you approached me, the way you looked at me? I thought if I, I should look like I knew... So basically, the way you were looking at me was duping me? You know, have you ever... If I was throwing you a surprise party, you'd want me to lie about it. It's true. I wouldn't want to know. No, but would that have been... You know, I wouldn't go to a priest about that. That'd be an honest lie. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I mean, there are some lies that are forgivable, John. And then there's some that aren't, Rex. I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to argue with you with that. Good. I didn't come here to argue. But you knew the whole time. I, I, I... And your face showed me like you didn't no, know. I'm, what I'm telling you is I didn't know, but my face said I knew. Exactly. Because I thought that would be no, easier your face... on you. Wait. <laughs> you thought my face said I didn't know? Yes. You, I knew you knew. Wait, I didn't know you I knew. I didn't know. That's the yes, point. Yes, but your face was like hiding it really well. You if have I, a hiding face. John, if I knew for one second about your wife, I would have told you. If you knew for one second? For one second. But as soon as I heard, I knew I needed to pretend like I knew. I don't want to seem like an idiot. <laughs> You know, you're I, not have, an idiot. I have to show face. I have to save face. I don't have to show face. I, I can't help but show. You do my face. show face very well. I, is what I'm trying to say. I took that acting class in I college. Know. Do you like me? I love you, John. See, I don't. I can't trust that you're, face you're right now. My goddamn brother. Of course, I love you. I, just the way you say things makes me want to believe it. But now I'm looking at you and knowing that your face says things that I don't understand. It doesn't say things, it's just capable of saying them. What color am I thinking of? Orange. How did you know that? I'm your goddamn brother, John. Just because we shared a room and twin beds. And what color was the room? Orange. If I had known for one second, you know I would have told you. I'm not that kind of asshole. I was completely blindsided by the whole thing. I can imagine. Lord. She was... She was everything to me. I held her up there. Like any McLean man would. I know. We are McLeans. We respect We are McLean. We are. Doesn't McLean sound like McLean in history is a strong name. It's a strong name. I, I believe it. Our, our family crest has a flexed muscle on it. Exactly. I actually believe we're too effeminate 
for acclaims or acclaims or acclaims or acclaims to be. I once turned down an award, right? And I said, "I'm too effeminate for this acclaim." <laughs> I did that. That was that was okay. I made, <laughs> I made that one up. I'm just trying to support you in this time. That's what you need. So you. So when my wife. Don't don't. I'm going to drum live. it up. I'm oh, drumming it okay. up. I'm bringing it back. Is this in public, John? Just what if you fall to pieces? I have to make a you statement. You haven't even to... touched your steak. I know. But I can't eat now. I have to make a statement to the press. Okay. <laughs> They've been waiting a long time, I guess. I'm a senator of the United States of America. I understand. You don't have to keep reminding me. You know, I went. I took that acting class. <laughs> I'm sorry. I took the privilege of ordering a beer. I, I got a wine spritzer. Anyway, I have to make a statement to the press. Well, don't tell me. Tell the press. I'm telling you, so I can have this. Confidence, stepping up to the press and identifying my wife. John, why did you ask me to lunch? I need your help, as a McLean. I'm I'm trying to give you your help, but all you can say to me, why is this? Am I boring you? No, I I'm seeing gnats. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? I know what that means. It's not code. I don't speak I, to you in no, code. No, I've heard your Secret Service talk before. Someone's gonna rush you out of here, and I'm gonna、hey. be left with the tab. First of all, being a Secret Service agent and then making it to to a senator is a fucking goal. Okay, all right. As as much as I'm, as it's a not a goal. You've done it. I mean, it's it, it's it, it's for. You knew the whole time she was a hooker. I didn't know. You knew the whole time she was a hooker. If I'd known for one second, you knew one second that she was a hooker. Well, now I've known for more than a second. But right, I, I told you as the, soon as I knew. What? As soon as I knew. As soon as you know, one second went by, and you told me less than a second. You found out when I did, <laughs> and then I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Well played, McLean. <laughs> Check. You're gonna pick it up. I'm assuming you do. I just need to leave. I am still unemployed. No,、oh, I'm taking another acting acting class. class. <laughs> another acting class. No, but this one's with a really acclaimed teacher. Who?、Uh, have you seen the movie Tootsie? <laughs> The guy that played Dustin Hoffman's acting teacher—he's <laughs> dead, isn't he? Wait,、Dustin、his acting?、Hoffman? No, his acting teacher. Who played his... Dustin Hoffman's acting? I、teacher. don't remember that part. He had an acting teacher. Yes, he was in anger. I just remember Bill Murray in it. He was oh,、fantastic. he was fantastic. He was Lord, amazing. Lord, if I could get him as an acting teacher, you should try it. Do you want me to make know, some do calls? Do you know Bill Murray? I could make some calls. I would really appreciate that. I think we're going past our our differences. Differences. Did you ever have sex with her? Bill Murray's acting teacher? No. You know who I'm talking about. I did. Yes. I thought I'd lighten the lunch a little. I know.、Bit. Did you pay her? I I didn't have sex with her. Wait, you just said you did. No, I made a joke about Bill Murray's acting teacher. Did you have sex with my wife or not? See, your <laughs> face says it. Why? Why? I mean, now your face is so apparent to me. How did I miss the face before? Well, I took that acting class. I don't. You're not that good of an actor. What? You're not that good、you、of an actor. You just offered to hook me up with Bill Murray. I saw you in True West in high school. It wasn't very true. That was one of my proudest moments. Really? What do you remember? Any lines? Yes. 
What? Because you missed a lot of them when the show was happening. You know what? This was becoming such a nice lunch. John. It was. I'm sorry. I'm not going to bring up you knowing that my wife was a hooker again. Good. Bygones. Bygones. Do you know? Do you need money? I could use a small amount of money. And what's that? Five thousand. <laughs> it's smaller than usual. That's why I called it. That. I know. It's just a little. It's just a, a temper. A, it's a loan. I'll pay it back. Sure. When you get your big gig. Yeah. Well, I, I have an opportunity to take an acting class with Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> That was really fun. I enjoyed it. And there were a few times where my inclination was to stand up and move around, <laughs> but I was literally tied to this chair. Um, but I don't. That was interesting because it, it was I I uh, because I couldn't get up, but I felt I didn't need to certainly. But I did get to really just like you were saying, like just focus in on. Um, <laughs> we talked about it a lot, but just on on your face and and what you were like, what was going on in your head. I felt that there was some like transitions of emotion and thought there, and that was really fun for me. Right. What did what did what did you um, think of this set? I you know I thought with you know again when we strip away the idea that we have to do that we have to jump around and do any backflips or kind of weird <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, it, it was just about us and it was just about, you know, how we were, I was only being, I was only being influenced on how you gave, what energy you gave me and vice versa. And then we uh, organically tried to bring some information in there to make it ridiculous. Um, and that's to me, the goal, the goal is, you know, just let 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 the energy let our our relationship be the fuel to the fire, and then we just bring fucking weird shit to it mm -hmm. that we believe that we exist in. And you know, me as a senator is so believable. <laughs> but you know, it, like it just was, uh, it just progressed in a way, and we heightened it, we exaggerated it, and and that's to me what all scenes are. Well, that was funny to me too, in that like I kept like in my mind, I was like making all these assumptions, uh, which I think is positive, but then I would, I would be like, oh, I want to say this stuff, but I'm like, maybe it's too early to act. Because at, at first it was very emotional, um, and then I was, I was like, because uh, um, the first one was, the, uh, was your wife, even just saying, like, there's something about your wife. In my mind I was like, oh, she's having an affair or whatever it is, and I'm just like, I'm just going to let it lie on your wife. That was weird. I was going to let it stay there. Uh, and I was kind of glad I did that, but I was like, I don't know, do you feel that the pace of information was at the right tempo? Uh, yeah, because it wasn't about the wife. Right. It was about us. So I didn't even want to even explore yeah. that. Because what happens is when we start talking about the wife, or we said that your wife's sleeping with you, then what happens is we're not talking about each other anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really about when you have these kind of uh, experiences with other people, it's like, you know, you didn't tell me something that I should know. That's what it's about. It's like we both know because we're in the middle of this scene. We both know she's a hooker. Yeah. But that's not what it's about. So if we start talking about the premise, if we start talking about the it's not about us anymore, it will organically appear and then it just exists. It's not about us. So that's what you have to fight. You got to fight like, okay, your wife, wife, wife. And then when it comes to me, I'm like going, I get it. That's actually hurting me personally. And it's you saying it. It's about you, you, you. It's just information that's helping us further this scene together. That's us. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. If we might talk a little bit more, but if you have any questions for anything Woody has said or that set or anything at all, uh, you can walk up to this mic that's right next to there so we make sure we record you. Um, so go ahead and do that now. 
walk around. If you don't have questions, make some up. Uh, nice. Um, uh, and I thought there was a couple times too that I uh, I was gonna in my mind too. I was like starting to think about like where we were. I think you grabbed the beer, and then I was like, okay, we're at a we're definitely at a restaurant. Um, and the check piece, that was like a cop out. Um, that was, and I was like, was oh, a, we're not going to get That was an edit get... moment, though. Yeah, I was like, we're not going to get edited. I can just keep doing this. Uh, <laughs> but I liked it that it kept going on. Um, all right, let's take some questions from people. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so, in that set you just did, it was extremely what I guess people call organic, slow. <laughs> we kind of found out what the deal, what the real moment of the scene was about. Um, Slowly, and by building small layers upon small layers upon small layers, which is great. In a situation like Harold, where you do not have the luxury of time, and often the initiation of a Harold scene is extremely premisey, which is like the other end of the continuum from very organic, um, you sort of have to lock in and find that interesting thing, like you said, like in the first line, we find that little wants there. So I would just like to ask you if you have any meditation on the balance between organic and premise when you start a scene and you're discovering what the, the, what the real reason that scene is. Right, and just, just real quick, Omar, can you hear those fine? Okay. Um, awesome question, because you know, what we just did there took a lot of time to develop to that point, but we took that time because we uh, had the time to take. <laughs> um, but I do also believe in Harold that those first beats need to take time. That's where we do have the luxury of maybe 50% of the Harold is that set up. I don't know, maybe 40% of it. And then as we go to second, we see it get legs. Meaning, if the second beat was me at the press conference, it's obviously not going to be that long and that that's when we start getting up out of our seat and that's when we start making it, the, the, we're moving it along. We're actually moving it at pace. So, uh, a, a faster pace. So now we're, we're making it move. We can't have those three scenes again. But we set up this relationship and now it's ready to go. We're ready to run. And then it's the frenzy of the, 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 the uh, press conference. It's you standing over there helping me. It's the, and maybe that scene will last 45 seconds or a minute. So we, 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 set, the, we set this energy here as in discovery. Um, I don't know how long that went. But, of course, it's not going to go 10 minutes. It's going to go 5 minutes. But that's a long time, too. And we could have set that up in five minutes just as organically. We just would have got to the meat of it a little bit a little quicker. Um, but we played games before that. We, we let the game play a little bit longer. So then what I'm saying is the, the show gets a little more kinetic as we move along. So you could actually see a scene that, obviously not that long, but a scene that at that style of play in, in a first beat in the Herald or three. Sure. Yeah. Three scenes to go five minutes in the first beats, I have no problem with. That's half the show. But what we have to make up for is where do we go next? And the urgency has to move forward in that second and third beat. Uh, let's take the next question. Thanks. Um, I've been doing some kind of uh, beginning Herald practice and I noticed in, in your scene uh, that you introduce a wife, right? Uh, and I've just seen that uh, there's a tendency to bring on a wife character right away with fellow improvisers. I guess my question is, uh, how do you, how do you uh, kind of uh, suggest to your teammates that oh, this is about our, you know, about our relationship. This is furthering our relationship. Uh, so what kind of advice would you give? Right. I, any information that is brought to a scene is personal. It's not about the information itself. Any information that's brought, so, uh, and, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, if the question is like, we bring in the wife as a, the, what, any information about that wife is motivated by what he wants to say to me. Meaning you're like, if, you know, it's, it's a wife issue that, you know, I can't believe you did that. You knew it the whole time. It was your wife. Your wife is hot. We're talking about the wife, but it's, it's about me. 
It's about me and how this is going to hurt me or help me or whatever. It's always about me. This is just information and tools that he's using to get what he wants. So, you know, if the question is, does it become about the wife? No, that's just information. That, and people on the back line and Harold are going, oh, we're going to see this information. Now that we brought this character in, we're going to see, we're going to make her real and then see how she influences your character to influence me and show the journey of this guy. I think she's also asking a little bit, like, could the wife enter in that first beat? Is that what you're asking? Whether you want it to or not. Um, <laughs> um, I wish that was that was clarified because I just blew oh, a lot fine. of time. Oh, fine. But anyway, Answer yes. The wife will come in, and if the wife comes in, that's great. It's heightening as long as the wife comes in, and it's heightening our relationship. Whatever she does and whatever she adds to the scene, it's about it's basically heightening what we are about, what we're talking about. And then she leaves. <laughs> and then she just leaves. She doesn't stay there and do a soft shoe. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I mean, I have no problem with that happening in the first beat, but it's literally there just to energize this relationship. Uh, any other questions or thoughts? People want Two to questions. Share? Awesome. Nice. <laughs> Uh, good. Well, ladies and gentlemen of the Steel City Improv Theater or listening in podcast land, loved this episode, loved Woody Drennan. Come back next month on July 13th. I will be back here, uh, same time, with actor, director, and Point Park faculty member and improviser Sam Turek. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, and can I add that Sam and I are going to be doing a two-prov next month? You so. can. Uh, yeah, did you have anything else you want to plug? Um, I do shows here at Steel City Improv. Yeah, I should let people plug stuff. If you, yeah, All really. Time. I, I'll be here from 10 a.m. till now. <laughs> uh, uh, our podcast tonight was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Steel City Improv Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Special thanks to Omar Arnelis for production support. Aaron Tarnow for tech. Uh, well, actually, well, there's more tech, but it's on the card. Uh, the beautiful and talented Michelle Horsley for our opening theme. And of course, Woody Drennan, uh, our special guest tonight. You don't get applause at that one. Uh, for this and past episodes, check out brianmgray.com slash podcast. Thank you guys so much. It's been lovely. See you again next month. Yeah!